0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone, and it's like a crisp winter's evening, refreshing, amen? refreshing amen not so i see it has not the same effect on me than it has on you frozen amen okay there we have it okay let me not expect too much response tonight so the expectation is set and in the morning service we have a guy called jerry i don't know who knows jerry But Jerry sits in front. Jerry is a very engaging guy. He laughs at jokes. You know, a a people's person. Yeah. There's no Jerry's here tonight. And Jerry sits normally there where Vian sits. And then when you just want a little bit of engagement, you know, someone doing something back, you look at Jerry. So, Vian, please, for me tonight, if you can be Jerry... I would appreciate that. Welcome, everybody. It's so lucky to be here tonight. And We're continuing with our sermon series on the book of Colossians. Tonight, I'm going to stop with the recaps. Otherwise, we're literally going to be here for two sermons. So I won't do that to us tonight. So let me pray for us and then we jump in to tonight's sermon. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you are here, Father. And we pray, Father, as... You know there's a lot of things for happening in the world around us, Father in us, and there's a lot of desires we have, Father, you know some that's good, some that's bad, Lord, and some of us may be pretending Father, there's certain desires that we don't have, Lord, but thank you, Lord, that tonight we know that the Gospel Lord isn't a list of things, Lord, that you come and give us to do, knowing that we actually don't want to the good news of the gospel Lord transforms us, Lord. Not only the way we live, Lord, but what we desire, the way we think. And for that, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you enable us, Lord, to do what you've called us to do. Thank you, Jesus, that in everything, you set the perfect example. And tonight, Lord, we also just want to come and thank you, Lord, in light of that, that we have a faithful high priest. That is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But was tempted in every aspect, as we were, yet without sin. And as we wrestle through these things, Lord, and as goals are shed in light of this list of things, Lord, in Colossians 3, we know, Lord, that even though you are God Almighty, you know what that feels like in a certain sense, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that we can draw near to the throne of grace to receive help in times of need. Thank you, Father, for your perfect world. Thank you, Jesus, for a perfect work, And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, our title is The Gospel in Community. The Gospel in Community. Colossians 3, verse 11 to 17. Like we said the last while as we've been going through the book, when we truly understand the true gospel, it produces faith, hope, and love. We immediately start to grow. There's immediately an effect in our lives. Since the day you heard and understood the grace of God and truth. We've been bearing fruit and increasing. This is something that continues. It immediately happens and it continues to happen. As we learn to get to know God more, we grow in this grace. And we've been looking at what that means to be created by God, for God. We've seen that Christ in us, you know, how secure our salvation is. We looked at how we grow as believers, how we mature. We've seen what the gospel is in light of these false teachings that's been abounding in, in the specific church in, of Colossians. And now we're getting practical from verse 3, like we said last week, or chapter 2. How does this look like, the gospel in all of life? In the light, we're going to specifically look at what does the life look like of a person that understands the gospel in light of community. Specific Christian community, yes, but in general community, nonetheless. This is how someone looks in community that understands the gospel. Are you ready for this? And also to note, you know, like, yes, thank you. Amen. Some responses. Was it yes or no? Shof is love. Thank huh? you. We got one another. <clears throat> I get coffee more. So we looked last week at seeking and thinking about the things above. Seeking and setting our minds on the things above. As we lay down certain things. And we saw these two realities. Something that has already happened. We have died in christ we have put on the new man so now lay down now put on jesus enables a certain way of life that we can now live out in other words as we receive, received christ jesus as lord let's walk in Him. let's live out this reality let's live out this new identity let's live as people who believe in god there's a certain thing that we must do not on our own By the grace and help of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But we need to take action. Because where? The presence of God is. It always produces action. Like Paul said in the end of chapter 1. To this end I strive with all his power that he mightily works within me. God comes and gives us the ability to live a certain way of life. And last week we specifically looked at laying down certain things. And also why we live that way. Why did we live that way? And why do we still sometimes live that way? Because we desire and worship the wrong things. When we desire and worship the wrong things, our lives will be shaped by that thing. And now tonight we're going to look at the flip side of the coin. How do we put on the good things now? How do we dress ourselves with this Christian character? Because again, it's something that scripture says we must do. Put on then as God's people. And now before we dive in, I want to ask us the question, when it comes to Christian character specifically, how do we go about growing in those things? What's been your approach lately? Have you approached it? Are you aware that you need to grow in it? Grace needed specifically in Christian character. How do we grow? Patience, for example. How do we grow in that? Humility. You know, It's one of those funny questions. Would you say you are a humble person? Now it gets strange. Would a humble person say they're humble? I don't know. But how do we grow in that? Kindness. Compassion. How do we grow in these areas? You see, because many times again in the Western world, same with like the self-control sermon, we many times just decide that we're going to be better now. Than don't know if you've done that before. You realize there's a little bit of impatience or something, and then you're just like, but from tomorrow... Done deal. Won't be like that anymore. Have you done that before? The Tomorrow I'm just going to be patient for some other reason. Man, I know we should work like that. Just flip the switch. Go to the circuit breaker, see which one's down. Just put it back up again. Boom, there we go. That was easy, but it doesn't work that way. Many times we, we kind of live like that. We, we just decide it's going to be better now. It's going to work all of a sudden. And it just doesn't work that way. There's a different reality. There's a way to growth. And again, how have you approached that? To answer the question really sincerely. Have you ever thought about growing in a certain area, certain character specifically? And you might say, hey, that's easy. A couple of sermons back. Maturity in Christ. It's about receiving instruction and correction. But that assumes character. It assumes you have the humility to actually receive the instruction and the correction. Because if the humility isn't there, if the character isn't there, then it's not going to work. You're just going to have a lot of discussions with this person when they're no longer there, they're in the bed and in the shower and all of that. And eventually when your justification seems to be good enough, then you'll no longer have conversations with them in your head anymore. But will not take root, don't bear fruit. Because the character needs there to support the ministry. It assumes the character. So how do we grow in this character? Let's read together and see what we can learn. Colossians 3, from verse 1 to 17. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Isn't that a beautiful passage? And I know I always say it, but in the words of Korne Becker, you're not supposed to have favorite passages of scripture, but this is mine. And this is just one of my favorites. Man, it's so beautiful. The community coming together where people understand the gospel and just what it looks like is so, so beautiful. But before we work through it, just to quickly mention specifically this last verse, verse 17, just to quickly explain something as we move on. Verse 12, it says, put on then. That's God's, God's chosen ones. Again in verse 14, it says, and put on. And then again, In verse 15 it says, and let the peace of God. And then again in verse 17, and whatever you do. Meaning these things go together. And links parallel statements together. Whenever we see this in scripture, we know these things go together. Go and make disciples. Many people are good at the going part. They're not missionaries. They are sceneries. They go and see the world, but they forget the and. And make disciples. Go there. Look at the nice things. Just tell someone the gospel while you are there and baptize them and teach them. These things go together. Same here. Speaking about a new identity. Again, that same thing as we receive Christ the Lord, let's walk in him. These things work together. It's a new way of life enabled by the gospel so that we can now live that out practically. And just one thing to quickly just note here is the following words. And whatever you do in word or deed, to everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? What does that mean? It's one of the things that I like about this book that I, I didn't note before we started to work through it. But it's the Christianese terms, you know, the, the common Christian sayings that we many times use, but that we don't often understand. To actually know what it means it just sounds nice. You know, we had Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean? We took a look at that. Seek and think about the things above. What does that mean? We looked at that last week. And now here again, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? There's two other areas where we also see that. Baptism. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Prayer. We pray in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? Why do we do that? And the reason I say it's because we can easily again fall into mysticism here. And specifically in the West, we kind of have legalism combined with mysticism. A weird thing that we must do. You now we, we kind of combine the two very often. And again, one of the things, strangely enough, specifically about the traditional Afrikaner culture, that was so interesting for me because we, you know, we rely on logic and we be very intellectual people and we kind of disregard emotions and spiritual things. But we're also in a sense very mystic. And me and Maria were speaking about it in the week. Some of the churches would advertise communion Sunday. They would send out like, hey, we're having communion. It's a communion Sunday, this specific Sunday. And even when we were little, we could remember that on that specific Sunday, it was a little bit more difficult to find a parking. But there were more people there. Because why? We believe that in... The use of communion, there's some kind of additional spiritual power or protection, or I don't know what. We're interesting enough when we understand it correctly and we celebrate it and we look to what the where the power actually is in Jesus dying for us on the cross and rising again from the dead, in looking to that, then we there the next Sunday as well, because we understand what Jesus actually did. It's not the specific thing. It's kind of like a, a Roman Catholic view of communion many times. Where the very use of it makes you more holy or protects you more, gives you more spiritual power. So in that sense, it's kind of a little bit of a mysticism attached to it. And the same is true for some other areas as well. praying in the name of Jesus. Baptism. Recently, through the ages, there's been a couple of times the specific movement, but recently there's been a research of it as well. A baptism in Jesus name only movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But there's literally people flying out of America all over the world to re-baptize people who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because you should just be baptized in the name of Jesus. Yeah, I know. It's strange. Kind of like there's some competition in the Trinity. Jesus is winning at the moment, so let's just baptize them in Jesus' name. No. It's God three in one, united with one another, never in competition, always working together in unity. And it's a misunderstanding of this. Because Jesus says baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the rest of the New Testament, we only read that they were baptized in Jesus' name. I mean, there's no single account in the rest of the New Testament where they say they've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? What does it mean? Didn't they listen well? Did they forget? What's happening here? It means the same thing. The name points to the person. That's what it means. When we say do it in Jesus' name, we are saying do it for Jesus, because of Jesus, in line with the will of Jesus, motivated by a love for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name. It's for him. It represents him. It's because of him. He's the one that enables it. That's what it means. Same with prayer. Jesus says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, You will receive. What does that mean? Does it mean we can pray for anything and just add the magic words in Jesus' name? And there you have it? No. When we say in Jesus' name, we are saying, Lord, I hope this aligns with your will. I hope this aligns with your word. I hope this is motivated because of a love for you and enabled because of Jesus is and because of what Jesus did. That's in Jesus' name. I don't know if you've noticed, but have you ever read in the New Testament? A prayer prayed, and then it finishes in this way, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, why? Because the prayer represents in Jesus' name. It is the word of God. It is because of Jesus. It is motivated because of the love for Jesus. It is in Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus, same, same. It's the same thing. It's motivated because of a love for God in line with the will of God. Is it now wrong then to add in Jesus' name? No. As long as we don't believe it's now the magic words at the the end of the sentence that makes it work. No. Jesus on the cross enables our prayers. In line with the will of God, that's what makes for effective prayers. Amen? It's not some magic thing that we just use to make it work. So that's what it means. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In word or indeed, whatever you do, may it be for Jesus, may it be because of Jesus, may it be in line with the will of Jesus, may it be motivated by a love for Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's work through it from verse 11 to 17. Paul saying, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Another question we looked at it last time, week as well. That verse eleven was indeed in here again. But the question is, why does Paul make this list? Why does he say, in light of this new identity found in Christ, that here there is not the following? And whenever the negative is used in this passage, it's attached to some bad things. Idolatry, like verse 5 showed us, which takes many different forms. Greed, sexual immorality, lust, all of that. Those are bad things. Then again in verse 7, these wrong characteristics that we shouldn't have as Christians. Wrath, anger, slander. Gossip, do not lie to one another. Why in light of all of the bad things is this also addressed as something that we should not see or not regard one another as or not see ourselves as? But rather Christ is all and in all. It's because Christ is speaking, Paul is speaking about identity. Identity in Christ. And he's saying that as there's a lot of different things that we know are inherently sinful, that forms a part of identity and it causes us to live wrong, so there's also stuff that's not inherently bad things but if that becomes the center of our identity it also causes us to live the wrong way and it's these things that's listed here and the further down these things move the further down to the core of our identity it is the more difficult it is to remove And Paul is saying in this list, kind of, we have to remove these things and take them out of the core and push the gospel down so that that comes to the core, so that that forms the center of our identity. The more closer to the core, the more difficult it is to remove. Also, the more closer to the core, the more it will shape our lives. We will see many times many different things that we desire, many different things that we give some adoration, some worship. And In the early Greek context, there was a lot of different gods that they worshipped for, a lot of different things. They could kind of see what thing they wanted more by the amount of times that they went to that specific god, the amount of devotion to that specific one. But there's a couple of them. And the same is true for us many times. There's a lot of different things pulling at the strings of our hearts, a lot of different things that we desire, sometimes that we worship. But how will we know which one is the main one? the one that forms most of our lives. The thing that shapes most of our lives are the things that we desire the most. That's deep down. It's like kind of at the center of our identity. And many times if we kind of struggle to figure that out, we can also look at our kids because they see what we prioritize. They see what we think life is. And many times also when these wrong characteristics that Paul spoke about, this wrath, this anger, this malice, this slander, when all of those things come out, why? What thing is starting to shake? Because that will give you an indication of where you are seeking life. And Jeremiah 2, the prophet writes about the two evils that God's people commit. It says, you've committed two evils. You've hewed out cisterns that can hold no water, broken systems, and you've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And that's kind of why these idols produce the wrong thing in our lives because it cannot sustain, it cannot fulfill. It's kind of like having this system, this broken system, and you pour water into it. And you go and fetch and you come, and you fetch and you come, and you fill it. And eventually at night you spent, you done, you tired, but luckily it's full now. And you go to sleep with the hope that tomorrow morning when you come here, you can just get yourself some water when you're thirsty. And surprise, surprise, the next morning you come there and it's empty. Or it's half, whatever the case might be. Why? Because it's broken, it cannot hold the water. And again, you must go and you must fall. And you must go and you must fall. And this continues. And every time we get there and we see the system is empty, we get angry. We get jealous. All of these wrong ways of life start creeping up inside of us. And so we can note when we tend to do the wrong things. Why? What's happening? What's being shaken? Because that's many times the things that we worship. And Paul says that's true in the world around them. We see that as well. These things shaping people's identity, race, class, education. Some people base their identity upon that. And class also possessions and money. That's what gives us our class status many times. And people find their identity in the wrong things. And unfortunately, we don't only see this in the world, we also see this in the church. You know how oftentimes I've spoken with people, and again, here we, we kind of give ourselves away a little bit. When we're not intentionally thinking about what we're speaking, then our hearts come out. What scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We don't wear our hearts on our sleeves, we wear them on our lips. If we listen to one another, we can kind of see what's going on in our hearts. Some of us are thinking now sharks. I wonder what I've said. What do people realize? But also, luckily for us, we live in a culture where nobody wants to listen. So, they don't always pay attention. So, they don't know. But if you listen, you can see. And I speak to people many times, people claiming to be Christian. But when they use the word us, they speak about us. A they're not speaking about those who believe in Christ and those who do not. They're speaking about one of these three things. Race, class, education. Why? Because that's more central to, thy, to their identity. Than Jesus is. It's closer attached to who they think they are, than who Jesus is and what Jesus did for them. Race, loss, education—it's more central. And we like to say, you know, specifically in South Africa, with all of the racial tension and whatnot. Specifically in South Africa, but it's not specific to South Africa. It's all around the world. Why? Because sin is all around the world. And sin divides, and sin breaks down relationships. That's what sin does. And so we divide ourselves into all these categories. The Bible doesn't divide people into those categories. We many times make the mistake to assume that the Israelites were looked at as a specific race, weren't a specific race. As soon as they went out, out of Egypt, it says what? And a mixed multitude went up with them. They were a mixed race of people from the time they left Egypt. What was the defining factor to be an Israelite? Who you worshipped. Anybody could become an Israelite if they forsake their gods and if they worship the God of the Bible. It has to do with faith. That's who the Israelites was. That's how the Bible divides people. Believers and unbelievers. And our hearts towards unbelievers isn't too... Separate them. No, it's love so that they can experience what we experience. A loving God that wants to come and give life. Amen. But many times we divide it as that. And specifically, I just have to mention it. It says here that here there is not Greek. What's here? What happened in verse 10? We are being renewed to the image of our Creator. Our Creator, here there is no Greek. In God, there is no Greek, no Jew, but everybody was made in the image of God. He didn't make a specific people group in his image. Everybody's created in the image of God. So therefore, we must be very, very careful to distinguish ourselves or to judge other people because of the color of their skin, the language that they speak, their gender, their class, or their education. Specifically when it comes to race and gender. Why? That's an holy thing. God determined that. He made them that way. And to have an issue with someone based upon their race or their gender is to have a fundamental problem with who God made someone to be. That's dangerous. Are you with me? It's a very holy thing. But some people think, you know, because of their self-righteousness, they painted themselves a different color. No. That's not how it worked. But God made us that way. And there's... Something for us to, to understand here that removes these things out of the center of our identity and places the gospel in there. And that is the gospel. And we see it here in verse 12. Beautiful kind of summary. It says, put on then as, meaning as, if this is true. Same with verse 1. If indeed you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. It assumes that we've been raised with Christ. It assumes faith in God. It assumes we understand the gospel. And again, it says here Visturf, as, as people who believe the gospel do the following. And here's the gospel. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. But to understand that. What does that mean? It means that God chose us. We did not choose him. In Christ, he made us holy. We did not make ourselves holy because he loves us. That's the gospel. Man, that's beautiful. As God's chosen ones, as the people who God chose, as the people who God made holy because he loves us. Understand that. Acknowledge that. Receive a revelation of that. Not we chose God and therefore made ourselves holy and now he loves us. No, that's not the gospel. We did not choose God. We did not make ourselves holy. And it's not because of our great work or because of our great character that god loves us no he chose us and in christ he made us holy because he loves us that's beautiful and if we understand that stuff change and how do we know if we understand that Well, yeah, because the sad thing is specifically in our christian culture a lot of us walk around with the information of it but not the revelation not the reality We've not experienced the reality. We've heard stories told about what a relationship with God can look like. But we've never experienced it ourselves. And many times we think to ourselves, and I don't know why, you know, you might think to yourselves, I don't know why I haven't experienced this, because I've many times asked God to quickly come and help me. In Christianity, you can do a lot of stuff, but not a single thing quickly. You can quickly do nothing. It takes time. To go and sit aside and to go and read and pray and think. And read and pray and think. And allow God to come and turn something into a reality in our hearts. But quickly nothing's going to happen. Sometimes by grace God comes and does stuff quickly. But normally that's not how it works. It takes time to go to God. And if we really desire it, we really will. Again, revealing something of ours. If we really desire that reality. And we will go and sit with God and plead with him, Lord, come and make this reality in my heart. Lord, come and show me what this means. And if we understand it, it produces faith, hope, and love. And these following characteristics as well. Let's see what happens. If we understand that we are chosen, that God made us holy because he loves us, and we apply to these characteristics, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And in verse 14, also love. Same as with 1 Peter one twenty two, It says, since you've purified your souls to your obedience to the truth, from a pure brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We kind of wonder sometimes. In the week, me and Graham, we were working through the book of 1 Peter. And as I got there, I also sat and I thought, why does it produce this? Why does it always produce this? I don't know if you've always asked, if you've ever asked yourself that question. Because many times we see what the gospel should produce. And then we either pretend that we are that now, or we try really hard to do that now. It doesn't really work. Why does it produce that? Why does it enable that? Why does loving God equal loving people? Why does faith in Christ equal good character? How does that happen? Why does it do that? And how does it do that? Firstly, the why is because the gospel and faith in Christ restores us to what we should be. And this is what we should be. We were created in the image of God. For those of you who have done Bible school, when we speak about God the Father, there's this beautiful kind of definition of of who God is. I can't remember the guy who said it, but he says, God is self-giving, other-regarding, community-forming love. God is self-giving, other-regarding, community-forming love. He always gives of himself. Why? Because he needs nothing. He is. I am. All-sustaining God, he gives of himself. Other-regarding, he considers others. That's why the gospel, that's why Jesus came, because God considers us in love. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, God calls us to do the same. Have this mind which is yours in Christ. Look to those around you, not only to yourself. Have this mind in Christ. Other regarding. Community forming. God always forms community. Why? Because God himself is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always in community with one another. Love. And he does that out of love. And we are made in the image of God. And the gospel comes and takes us back to what we should be. Being transformed into the image of our maker. So that we, again, do the same. We love. We consider. We give. And we form community. Of those around us. That's why. But how? How is by understanding the grace of God in the gospel? That he chose us, that he made us holy because he loves us. Look at what happens when we take that and apply it here to compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts, having compassion for those around you. What happens if someone struggles with sin, when someone goes through a tough time? When someone's really battling through something and you think that you chose God and because you are a phenomenal person, God loves you, what's going to be your response? Specifically in struggles of sin. Man, if I could do it, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, be better because if I can, you can as well. No compassion. Why? Because I'm good within of myself. You can be as well. What happens if we understand that if it was not for the grace of God, man, where would we have been? What happens if we understand that a holy God chose us, a holy God made us holy, and a holy God did that because He loves us? That's compassion. Lord, have grace. Lord, have mercy. Lord, come and help. As you extended your arm to me, Lord, come and extend your arm to them. Because without you, where would I have been? Do we understand that? There was a... Specific past and his work was to go around to different churches and different nations and to encourage them to help the poor. And he writes and he says that wherever he came across a church that preached a work-based salvation, in other words, that in of ourselves we have what it takes to earn the righteousness of God, where people believed fundamentally that they were good people in of themselves, they would not help the poor. Why? Because if we did all of this by our wisdom and our might. And because we are so righteous. Then they better do that as well. I got me this. They're not going to take that. They better get it themselves as well. No compassion. Same with kindness. You know. Compared to that list in verse 7. We had the anger and rage. Instead of that we have. Compassionate hearts. We had Boosheid in Afrikaans. Evil intentions. You know, To desire evil to those around us. To not desire them to actually prosper in life. Here we have kindness. To be kind to those around us. To desire good things for them. in the Afrikaans. Why? Because we know that that is the grace of God. But when we believe that we did what it takes. We have what it takes. And then we performed and God better give us. If he gives it to someone else. Then we kind of, no, Lord, I actually deserve that more. I did more than them. I've been to church more. I've prayed more. Lord, you better give that to me. Didn't you see what I've done? No kindness. Humility. Same thing. As the saying also goes, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Just don't think about yourself the whole time. Think about something else as well not now to pretend that we suck at everything. just to think of ourselves less. Less of ourselves. But again, humility with the same thing. There is this beautiful passage in Deuteronomy 8 about God instructing the Israelites not to forget him when they go into the promised land. And he speaks about taking care of them in the wilderness. He fed them with manna, why? To humble them, to show them that man does not live on bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where that beautiful verse comes from and then God says to them in verse 18 but when you go into the land be careful not to forget the Lord your God and to say by our strength and by the might of our hand we have acquired this wealth for ourselves no remember the Lord your God why because it's he who gives you the strength to acquire wealth God placed you in that position many times when it comes to race and class and education, we think man, by the strength of our hand and by our own wisdom, we've acquired that. Who gave you that strength? Who gave you that wisdom? Who gave you the ability? God did. You cannot boast in that. And yes, there's discipline and all of that and effort, but God was the one that gave. We even do it with our talents sometimes. It's the most ridiculous thing for me in the world. Imagine that in sport, you're faster than someone else and now you're prideful about that and look down on others. So as if you caused yourself to be fast. I mean, what? what? Be very good in certain sports or when it comes to looks or whatever. As if you did that. As if you formed yourself in your mother's womb. No. What does chapter 1 from verse 15 to 23 say? the supremacy of Christ. We were created by Jesus, for Jesus. He did that. We cannot boast in that. We did not form ourselves. It's supposed to be for Him, for His glory, not to shine a light unto ourselves. God gave us that ability. Amen. Same is true with forgiveness. Look at what it says in verse 13 to 15. It says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. That's kind of for people that want a checklist of to-dos. Lord, I'm struggling with something. What should I do? Here's a perfect checklist. Lord, I'm having this thing against someone. What should I do? Forgive them. Boom. Checklist done. That's kind of easier, isn't it? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And again, these two words, and, and, meaning it goes together. How do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Again, it's not something we can decide. eh? It would be great. Okay, Lord, peace come. Ah. No, it comes by. Putting on love, which causes us to forgive. And because we live in forgiveness, we live in peace with those around us. We see that. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The reason you were called in, one body. It's a community thing. It's not the individual thing. It's not something we do alone. No, this peace comes because we've put on love and therefore forgive. Now the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. And again yeah, it's so beautiful to see this. But our understanding of the gospel influences the way we forgive. Our understanding of the gospel influences the way we forgive. Do you easily get offended? Do you struggle to forgive? Why? It's because we don't understand the gospel. That's why. We will always forgive in light of how we think we are forgiven. We will always forgive in light of how we think we are forgiven. If we think that we did something and now God loves us again, we will also have that conditional forgiveness with the people around us. Now, I will forgive, but first you must perform. Because I said sorry to God, but I first had to read my Bible for a month before I felt like God loved me again. And we will have the same mentality with the people around us. We will extend the same amount of grace that we think we need. you with me. We will have the same amount of patience with the people around us as we think God needs to have patience with us. Some of us think, man, we just get everything quicker. We just understand stuff and we're quick to obey, and we rarely disappoint God, and we just like this. And other people better be as well. No, it's not true. But God is so patient with us. Therefore, we can be patient with those around us. There's this beautiful story in Matthew 18 about a moneylender, the unforgiving debtor. I don't know who've ever read that story. But a man owing a great amount of money that you'll never be able to pay back in your life. When he goes to the king and the king says pay back and the man says what? Lord, have compassion. Have patience with me. And what does the king do? He forgives the debt. And the man walks out and sees a guy that owes him a little amount of money and does what? He strangles him. Gets violent. And says pay back. And the man repeats the exact same words that this man just said to the king. Have patience. Have grace with me. And what does he say? No I won't. And he throws him in prison until he pays back the amount. And when the king heard he does what? Throws the man in prison as well. says unless you forgive you will not be forgiven. Our understanding of the gospel will influence the way we forgive. And we don't know how much we needed to be forgiven of. If you struggle to forgive someone, you think what they did to you was worse than what we did to Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. We don't understand the gospel. The new pastor of Craig had a wonderful sermon last week, specifically on this passage, Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. You can go and listen to it if you have time in the week. Illustrating that our forgiveness flows out of our understanding of the gospel. And so also, in this passage, let's get rid of our pride and our self-righteousness and let's look to the love of Christ so that we can extend the love of Christ. Amen? Beautiful. And also, when it comes to this peace, firstly, we do this because we want to live a life worthy of the gospel. We want to live a life worthy of God who called us. But also, we want to live a life of peace. And some of us don't know peace because we struggle with forgiveness. And God is saying tonight that we think we don't have peace because of people. And they did this and they did that and they did this. And God is saying, no, you don't know peace because you don't understand the gospel. And as again, it's the confrontational side of the gospel, which is uncomfortable. But there's also the flip side, which makes it so beautiful. And that is for us to live in peace, for us to experience life and life in abundance. Nothing around us needs to change. Something inside of us does. We need to embrace the gospel. But all of the people that did all of the things, they don't need to change. They don't need to be better for me to experience peace and life in abundance. No, I need to see who Jesus is and I need to realize what he did. And that will produce that. I mean, confrontational, but great news, nonetheless. The good news of the gospel. And look at verse 16 and 17, what a community looks like that understands this. This is so beautiful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Isn't that so beautiful? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? Because the focus is Jesus. Because we are seeking and setting our minds on things above. That is how we do that. By spending time in the Word, that's why it dwells in us richly, because Christ is all and in all. And I need to also say this tonight. That if you say you've been saved for a number of years, and the Word of Christ is not dwelling in you richly, then you do not long for the things above. You do not long for desire of the Father. You do not long for desire of Jesus, because that's how we draw near to Christ. One of the ways, one of the means of grace is the Word of God. Living inactive. As the H Persian used to say, so beautiful. We were created by the word of God. Is it any wonder that the word of God sustains us? It's how we long for God. And for some of us, again, you know, me and my wife, we laughed this morning. Our two children were sitting on the couch and eating their cereal before coming to church. And one of them, every now and again, he screams. Just this funny little scream, but there's also every now and again this like cutting to the heart scream. And at a stage, I ask him, my son, why do you do that? And he says, yeah, because I want to. And we, we laugh because we've been teaching that to people. Why do we do the things we do? Yes, yeah, because we want to. If we really want to, we will. And some of us might say there is a desire to pray. There's a desire to read the word. Deep down, I, I do sense a desire, but I don't find myself doing that. Why? Because there's a greater desire. We long for other things more. And sometimes very confrontational. Sometimes we long more for series or for movies than reading the word of Almighty God who saved us. And that's a vicious reality. And to be confronted to that art. Imagine that. Series, movies versus the word of Almighty God who died for us. And we choose the movie. To be confronted with that. And then not to pretend that we don't have that heart, but to take that to God and say, Lord, help. Lord Jesus, come and have your way. Holy Spirit, come and enable. But come and transform and come and open my eyes so that I can see the beauty of Jesus, the message of the gospel. Amen. But to see that. And then teaching and admonishing, instruction and correction, one another in all wisdom. And now it is received. Why? Because the character is there. There's humility, there's love. So when it's given, it's loving. When it's received, there's humility. And people grow. Isn't that beautiful? And we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And God is the focus. Why? Because there's no division. Sometimes we don't experience this because we have division in church. We have something against our brother. What does God say? When you come to the altar and they realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, go be reconciled. But worship the way it should be. Some of us experience nothing in worship. Why? Because there is unforgiveness in our hearts. And God says you won't receive if you don't give. You need to give forgiveness in order to receive forgiveness. To enter by the way, we need to walk it out both ways. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God the Father through Him. Whether you're in Christian community, whether you're in home, whether you at work, whether you're in the world. And we're going to look at those next couple of things from next week on. But whatever you do, do it because of Jesus. Do it like Jesus. Do it in line with the will of Jesus. Do it because we are motivated by love for Jesus, because we know who he is and what he has done. Amen. Let's stand together. Pray tonight.